familiar SPG podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. My name is Charles, and today it's Richard and I. This is an episode where I'll be going over a tournament experience I had in Seattle, USA, about a month ago, and at the end of April. And the tournament was titled was called the Battle for Smog, and it was hosted by our friends at the Duran Show podcast where they got their local players and invited people from nearby cities to come up and play for the ultimate prize, the smog model from Games Workshop. So I'll be going over the list that I brought, and Richard and I will be talking about the list a little bit, and we'll be going through the games that I played, and just general thoughts on how this army played, and a little bit of strategy. So the list that I brought to this event was 400-point list, because it was a 400-point tournament, and the leader is Dalamir, and in his warband there are five Corsairs with shield, six Corsair warriors with spear and shield, six Arbalesters, and in the second warband I had Dalgamar, Gatemaster of Umbar, leading three Corsairs with shield, three Corsairs with spear and shield, and three Arbalesters. That's a total of 28 models and five might. So I think at 400 points, it's, it's a little bit tricky with the Corsair list, I debated between uh, Delgamar and a Corsair captain, and to a smaller extent, the Corsair boson. It's just because once you fill up Dalamir's warband, you have a second warband that you're unable to fill up with models. So you're choosing between either Delgamar, which is a better combat hero and provides a reroll. Um, he is much more expensive, and so you are forced to take less models, as opposed to the captain, which provides a heroic march. He's also still a fight five hero, so I really struggled between the two. I thought about the Bolzen for a little bit because he has a three-inch banner effect, but at the end of the day, I didn't want to fight four hero, considering I only had two, and he only had one might. I wanted to have as much might as I could. So Richard was one of the people that I talked to for advice on this list before the event. And Richard, what did you think? Did you think that I went with the right choice? Yeah, I think to me, the two viable options there are Delgamar and the Captain. I agree, the Bosun, I think, is probably a level below. A big part of taking the Bosun is if you're going to go Corsair Reavers. That way you can raid them in, you know, with the Courage test and everything. But without taking Corsair Reavers, you're just losing a facet of why you take the Bosun. I mean, unless you like the Peter Jackson model, but, you know, otherwise it's... I think it's between, yeah, the, the utility of the Captain with the, you know, whether you want it with the crossbow or not, you still get the march versus Delgamar with uh, the banner effects and the fightiness and the extra money. So just to give uh, listeners a bit of a context, this was a pre-selected scenario pack. So four main scenarios in the following order. Breakthrough, Fog of War, Command the Battlefield, and Capture and Control. How it worked was the top two players at the end of the tournament played a fifth game. And that was Contest of Champions. So given what Richard and I just discussed, I felt like Heroic March would have been good in Command the Battlefield potentially, but maybe not in any of the other ones. So I think my heart was always set a little bit more on Delgamar. I feel like Corsair Warriors are cheap enough where I was going to have the numbers advantage in most scenarios. So I ended up going with Delgamar, even though it was a bit of a debate about three or four days before the tournament. And just to give a little bit of spoilers, I did end up winning the tournament. And in hindsight, I think that 
taking the Corsair captain, I might have still done pretty well. But that fifth point of might that I had that I wouldn't have gotten with the Corsair captain in one or two of the games allowed me to call a very important heroic move. So I don't know if I would be able to win the tournament with the Corsair captain. And Delgamar has the strike, so... He has no strike. Oh, okay. Never mind. He only has heroic strength. So Delgamar provides a little bit more of a fightiness with the extra attack over the captain. But that was about it. Also, with his whip rule, it has like significant side effects. And I had never used him in a game, so I wasn't really sure how important it was. So going into the games now, the first game I played Breakthrough against a pure Dunhero army... He was a bit more of a beginner player, so it wasn't really something that was, like, it wasn't a really threatening list, and the player wasn't really super threatening to me. I did notice that I had a bit of a trouble with Courage Tests, because he did have Heartbringer of Evil. So I wasn't able to get much traps off. I actually was surprised that I probably only activated the army bonus twice the entire game. So I relied on the throwing weapons and the crossbows to do most of my damage. It kind of brings me back to our Dalamir episode when we had Rainier on, when he talked about like having multiple aspects of an army. Like if one aspect fails, you try to have another one kick in. And I feel like that's what happened with game one, where like my traps and my army bonus didn't do anything at all for me, but my throwing weapons and my crossbows did. So there was a lot of combats where it was just him charging me. And then I had a spear support because I couldn't charge anyone else to wrap around. So slowly whittled away with throwing weapons and i ended up capturing i believe all of the objectives so i ended up winning a 12-1 because he only had 14 models so he, he kind of all just stayed together instead of splitting them onto objectives because he wanted to use um, as many models to fight my heroes but yeah game one was pretty straightforward and game two uh, i played against a riders of Thaden legendary legion in fog of war so this was another army that was only 14 models the difference was that they were all mounted, and my main concern was that they were going to get to their terrain that they want to capture. And I was also concerned that because my heroes were on foot, maybe he can get like a sneak hero combat in and take out one of my heroes. So it was on like a pretty open board. I believe it was a Shire board. So my shooting was actually good, and I ended up dismounting two of his heroes and taking out a few riders. So it was not a problem breaking him. The one thing that I wish I did better was that I targeted the right... I feel like I could have guessed the hero that he was trying to protect better. So he had Elfhelm and Durnhelm that he can choose from. And I targeted Eowyn because I thought that he probably wouldn't go for Mary because Mary was kind of like the obvious choice. Because Richard and I have talked about this where in Fog of War, people like to go for the squishiest hero. And so maybe as like a, I don't know, try not to go for the obvious choice and pick the second squishiest. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, to kill? Yeah, because I picked Eowyn to kill. And then I didn't kill her. And I think I killed Mary instead. But then I think he ended up protecting Elfhelm. So I, I, think, I think either Mary or Eowyn would be okay. I think picking killing Eowyn might be what I would have done. Just because, yeah, Mary is kind of too obvious, but then I wouldn't have gone for Elfhelm because of the heroic defense. But then at the same time, I think I would almost assume them choosing Elfhelm to defend. Mm. In a way, like, if that's the three heroes, 
I feel like you're going to be throwing in Durnhelm into the thick of things as much as possible, whereas uh, Elfhelm is more of a harasser. So, like, those kind of heroes are often a lot of times the, the defensive target, in a sense, where the player would choose to protect, like a Elfhelm or a Legolas, you know, or Haldir. Like, those are very common picks. Yeah. I was just caught off guard a little bit because at 400 points, you don't expect there to be three choices. But I think you do make a good point. Durnhelm is like the three-attack hero that he'll probably want to throw in, especially up against Corsairs. With so many models, he's going to want to try to kill as many as he can. I was stepping out, maybe playing a little bit too recklessly, because I thought that maybe I had enough damage output to just take out all three heroes before the game ended. But I ended up only wounding one and killing one, and then they happened to be the wrong ones. So it was a little tricky. Maybe if I thought about it more, I might have been able to pick the right one. I don't know. So yeah. you did win this game, right? Yes, I, I did. I protected Delgamar. I kept him a little bit more back, played a little more conservatively with him, and he didn't end up wounding Delgamar. Yeah, I was going to say that this particular matchup, I think I think you got a, you know, a bit lucky with, it seems like, maybe a slightly less experienced player and also having a more open board. Because I would feel like this would be a little bit dangerous if you're shooting, if you weren't able to take advantage of your shooting and shoot him off his horses and like harass him that way. Because I feel like if he was able to kind of run around the board more unchecked without being shot down and hiding behind terrain, I think it would be tough for you because you are kind of put in a situation whether you want to split your force or not. If you aren't splitting your force, then with his mobility, very likely you guys will be fighting on your side near your terrain pieces. So it's easier for him to capture. But if you split up your forces in half and you only advance with half of your force, then you're very easily picked off. So I think, yeah, it was, I feel like it was very lucky that uh, you could take advantage of your shooting. Yeah, I think it could have gone the other way. I agree. Like, because my models are generally pretty low defense, I think if he were to call death, that probably would have been really effective. Each hero could probably kill two Corsairs, and that would drop my model count pretty significantly just over one fight phase. So game three, I played Command the Battlefield against a Mordor army, and this army was led by Witch King on a horse, and then Cardouche. And then he had a mix of, I think, Mordor Arcs and Black Numenorians. So we kind of all deployed on the four corners. We each basically picked each other's deployment points. And each of us kind of chose our armies to deploy on opposite corners, sort of like how you would start in Divide and Conquer. And we moved forward at each other. The terrain on this board was a little bit weird. It was like almost like big like gothic buildings from 40K. So the crossbows, unless there was an alleyway, you couldn't really see any targets. So the first three, four turns, my crossbows barely did anything, maybe killed one model. I camped them in like specific points where they can see like two major hallways. And then they're basically more like zoning tools. So eventually Dalamir's warband fought Witch King's warband. And he was pretty aggressive with the Witch King. He charged Dalamir a couple times and threw transfixes at him and struck up. And Dalamir was able to stay alive with heroic defense. So I'm glad I had a leader with heroic defense. 
eventually I was able to, with shooting, shoot down the horse. And I think on like the fourth or fifth turn of combat, I shot the Witch King as well. After I peeled Dalmir away so he wasn't fighting Dalamir. Delgamar didn't really do much. He was marching most of the game from the opposite corner and then eventually caught up to the middle, fought and killed Kardush. But I think what I learned from this game was that Black Numenorians, if you see models with Fight 4 in your opponent's army as a Corsair player, you want to take them out because I feel like they take a long time to kill, especially with the Terror and the Heartbringer. They're just really annoying. I think after I was able to take out the Black Numenorians, he had probably six or seven of them, the, the orcs were pretty easy. But with the Black Numenorians supporting, it feels like even the orcs were hard to kill. Game three ended with a 10-1. I think I was able to clear out three quadrants. So in game four, game four was the final game of the normal tournament. It was a capture and control game against Angmar. And Angmar was controlled by Jake DeLouis, who we know from down in California. And I played against him before in Portland. I know he's a pretty good player. And also I played him at Adepticon. So this one I think was going to be, at least up until that point, my toughest game. So he had a, a Witch King on Felbeast, almost fully decked out, I think. I think he had a Morgul Blade and almost 20 will, 3 Might, 3 Fate. And it was a one Warband army. So he had, uh, I think, two or three Warbriders, one of them with a banner, and the rest Mortars, two Spectres. It was an interesting start. It didn't start very good for me. So it was sort of like a village with a clearing in the middle with a well. So not a lot of terrain near the center of the board, but you had a lot of terrain on the sides where the objectives were. So I set up kind of in a line and he set up in a line as well. And the first turn, I didn't expect this to happen, but he comboed the Witch King's Compel and Fell Light on Delgamar and basically pulled him out of my lines. And I knew that this combo was possible, but I didn't expect him to do it because in order to move into cast range, he had to move his models out in the open. Anyway, he managed to pull him out so far that the Witch King was able to charge him, and that turn took out Delgamar with full might. That was pretty shocking to me. I thought that might have been the end of the game because Delgamar had more than half of my might. And I just didn't know if Dalamir was going to pull his weight in the rest of the game. I think at that point, my strategy was to just keep the Witch King from doing as little as possible. And turns following that, I kept him pinned in that corner for the most of the game. He didn't really... Like, he might have contested me with a heroic move once or twice, but I was lucky to have more priorities than him. And just any chance I get, I charged models into him to force him to barge. I actually was wondering afterwards, and I didn't get to ask him why he didn't use might on hero combats. Because he tried to barge, and he couldn't barge very far, because he could only barge up to six inches. But I think if he had called hero combat, he might have been able to get out of that corner. I was able to keep the Witch King in a corner while the rest of my Corsairs cleaned up his orcs standing on the objectives. And I was able to win that game in 11-1. So, yeah, it was really interesting because I had thought that he had enough momentum in that first game to be able to have a major victory against me. But I guess my warriors pulled their weight, and that's why I was able to break him and stand on all of the objectives. Yeah, that's, that's always a tough feeling losing a big hero in the beginning and you know as a player that also like plays a momentum style of play where i try to you know take out a big target immediately or hero combat and take out like as many warriors as possible early on 
Like that's basically something like that. I would almost feel like if I was Jake, almost having it in the bag. So I can see how you felt like, you know, a sense of the game is lost. But I guess that speaks to, you know, sticking it through and keep on keeping on playing and, you know, props to you for pulling that out. Yeah, it could have definitely gone the other way. I think if the Witch King was not pinned in one corner, because that was more than half of his points. If the Witch King was actually flying around the battlefield and maybe taken out Dalamir as well, I don't think I could have come back from that. Especially just because like how hard it was to charge the Witch King is it's the same as in game one where I was making four or five terror tests and like maybe one Arbalester would get into the Witch King and be like, okay, well, the rest of the guys will just stand there because they all fail their tests. So it takes five Corsairs to do one Corsair's job. So I think Terror is a little bit underrated against armies with average courage and no fearless, no bodyguard. It's actually a huge deal. And so winning the first four games means that I was in the fifth game, Contest of Champions. I actually played against someone from our local group who also went down to Seattle, Benjamin, and he brought Moria List. He had Derbers. Goblin Captain with Bow, a Shaman, their Cave Troll, and about 30 or 32 Goblins. So I knew that I had the edge in terms of a hero that could kill more, but I was also a little bit worried about the Cave Troll, because the Cave Troll was in Durber's Warband, so I knew that it was going to start pretty close. I wanted him to deploy first, so that I could hide my Dalamir from the Cave Troll. After the tournament, I thought that maybe I shouldn't have been as scared of the Cave Troll, because I did have the Smoke Bomb. So as long as I charged in, it might not have been that bad if I could transfix the troll. But at the time, I was kind of worried about the cave troll. So he ended up deploying first, and he put the cave troll quite a bit far back, about almost six inches back from the center line. So I was a little bit relieved. So I put Dalmir in the first rank when it was my turn, because typically I wouldn't. It's probably not a good idea to put your general at the really front, but since I was going second. I wanted to make sure the first combat I could get kills. So I put it far from the cave troll, but I put it at the front. So when the lions clashed, I put a troop into the troll every turn. It, it was still not super consistent, but it was easier to make this terror test because he didn't have a Harbinger of Evil like the Witch King did, like King of the Dead did. And, you know, usually by the second or third test, I can get a model into the cave troll. So I tried to put a model into the cave troll and have it face away from Dalamir. If he wanted to hurl, he would have to hurl away from Dalamir. He managed to get a couple good hurls anyway, but Dalamir was far enough where they didn't hit him. So the other thing was that Ben forgot to cast Channel Fury the first turn. He ended up rolling uh, Snake Eyes the second turn, and so he didn't have Fury that game or the 6-plus to save. It was a bit of a struggle for Derbers to get kills because he was fighting Fight 4 troops. And I didn't go over this at the beginning of the recording, but... I put shields on every model. I've seen Corsair players do it differently. Like some Corsair players will put the shields on the models without spear. But I think in this situation, it really helped to have shields on everyone because I just shielded whenever I could. It was the same in Jake's game as well. When, it, when I needed to survive against the Wish King on Felbeast, I just shielded. And a couple of the turns, I ended up beating the Wish King on Felbeast. You never know. And Derbers struggled to win a combat. And I understand why he didn't call Heroic Strike because I think he was wanting to save it in case Dalamir charged him. But he didn't call Heroic Strike against my Corsairs. And just over the course of five or six combats, he wasn't able to win. He might have won once, but he wasn't able to wound any Corsairs. So I was getting kills at least one a turn with Dalamir. 
and he wasn't able to because of shielding and constantly rolling the six. So eventually near the end of the game, the cave troll caught up to Dalamir. Dalgamar was in the way, so he killed Dalgamar, but wasn't able to get to Dalamir. I was able to break the Moria army, and then the final turn, Dalamir charged Durbers and killed him. So it ended up being five kills for me and zero kills for him. After Durbers died, a few goblins ran away and he was quartered. So that was the end of game five. I think this game also could have gone either way. I was surprised that he didn't take any bat swarms. Like, I think the cave troll with the bat swarm could have taken out Dalamir pretty easily. I think, yeah, like, Ben is a good player. Um, I played him myself. But I think his list versus your list in Contest as Champions was just favorite for you. No doubt about it. Like you said, usually you have to be a bit careful with Dalamir, but versus his list, I feel like you're not really afraid of anything. Like, yes, it's not optimal for you to fight the cave troll. Like, you would rather be getting kills. But I don't think he's desperate to fight Dalamir with the Cave Troll 101 as well, because you do have the Heroic Strike, and especially when you have both might. I know not a lot, but you can guarantee winning at least the first two combats, pretty much. And you re-roll to wound, so with the Bane of King special rule. So you're extremely killy, and if you can somehow trap the troll, which is not too hard, you're going to get plus one to wound. So you're wounding the troll on fours, you know, six dice, plus one to wound, re-rolling to wound. Uh, it's almost guaranteed killing the troll in one swing. So there was literally nothing in his list that could stop Dalamir. And I mean, yeah, so I, I, I feel like the matchup just was not very good in his favor. I think goblins might match up to Corsairs fairly okay in close combat. Because fight four versus fight two, they're not losing out on much. But I feel like your throwing weapons would also like balance that out because throwing weapons can just take out the goblins pretty easily there. Yeah, that definitely was a factor in me able to make our numbers even out pretty quickly, maybe by the third turn. Because throwing weapons, going into combat, they were taking out quite a few goblins. And I think throwing weapons might have even taken out his captain with maybe a few crossbow shots. So they were pretty deadly against goblins. You're right. But yeah, part of it was me getting a little bit lucky in the matchup and playing a Moria list that was built that way in Contest of Champions, for sure. So I ended up winning the tournament and I was lucky to bring home Smog. And yeah, it was a great event. I think that if you guys ever considered going to an event hosted by the Duran Show, I'd highly recommend it. They really know how to run events and great tables and great players as well. I think I learned quite a few things in this tournament, aside from just general Corsairs of Umbar experience, because it's my first time bringing them to an event. I think it's really important to use the shielding rule. And I don't know if Richard would agree with me, but I really noticed the value of putting shields on every model. I know you're only going from defense three to four, but there are still a lot of strength three armies and it protects you from them wounding on fours. And also just in situations like this, you shield and you have so many models. So giving you more chances to roll more dice in like defensive combats, it's it's actually a, a really great utility. Yeah, uh, funny you should say that. I do like the shielding rule, but I guess I'm more of a greedy player and want to get that model count up. So I wasn't able to, unfortunately go to this tournament, but we do have a local tournament coming up in uh, early June that everyone on this podcast is attending. 
and I'm taking Corsairs with Surf and Horde. And yeah, I for my Corsairs, my Spears do not have shields. So going against Charles's advice here, we'll have to see how that works out. I have to say, definitely, it wasn't an intended strategy to give everyone shields. This just happened to be a 400-point event, and I think taking out the shields on the Spearmen would have gotten me one more model, so it wouldn't have affected the breakpoint. So I was like, oh, why not? Just give them all shields and see how it ends up, you know? But knowing this and having this experience, if I was to take them at 800 points, I'll have to work out the numbers. Maybe it won't be worth giving them all shields, but I did notice that I relied on shielding more than I thought I would. The other thing I learned was how Delgamar's whip worked. It's kind of hard to visualize how often you would use it just based on reading the rule, because it is a little bit weird. It's like you can reroll as many of them as you want, but if you fail to win the fight, they all take a strength to hit. So on one hand, it's really powerful because, first of all, you can stack it with a banner. Um, no banner in this list, but like let's say in a, a list that's higher points. You can stack, you can reroll as many Corsair Warriors as you want in the combat. So potentially you can double your rolls. But if you don't win, then there's a third of a chance each of them will die. It felt a little bit like the piercing strike rule. You'll die more easily, but you're more deadly. So it's like an, it's a kind of like an offensive maneuver. Or like a stab. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably the closest comparison, actually, because you're directly taking damage. Yeah, it's like stab. Hey, I mean, like all the self-inflicted wounds, you can, if you need a break faster or go down to 25%, you can whip your guys to death too. Yeah, that's true. I didn't find myself in that scenario specifically, but I did find myself in scenarios where I don't know if it was worth whipping because my opponent, let's say they rolled a five and then I'm like, well, is it worth re-rolling this dice when there's like a third of a chance I would win? But then if, if I don't get it, there's a third of a chance my model will die. I played a little more conservatively, and I found myself re-rolling only when I know that I could probably win. So, for example, it's like a three-on-one, and then my opponent rolled like a three, and then he wins. So I'm like, okay, I'll re-roll all three dice, and more likely than not, I'm going to roll higher than a three. So only in those situations. So I think I found myself only using that rule like three times a game. I don't know if that's the intended amount. I don't know Corsair players that use him a lot. Like, I talk to a few Corsair players, and generally most people prefer, like, to take him for fun. So, yeah, that rule is really interesting. You're going to playing him, right, in the upcoming tournament? No, I'm not. I'm going with Dalamir and Zulidan because I'm an ally. But I guess my question is, when it comes to an Arbalister that you're whipping, does it count as a range attack that you can use their D6, or is it a D3? Because other whip attacks, like Ruffians, those are ranged attacks. But for Delgamar, I guess it's like same team kind of whip. I feel like it's not a shooting weapon, though. I don't know the answer to that, but I don't think that you usually have to worry about it because Arbalesters only gain the defense bonus if they're not in combat. So most of the time where you're going to be rerolling the whip, the Arbalester is fighting. Oh, I thought it was just ranged attacks. Never mind. No, no, it's whenever he's not in combat, he is defense six. I think that's how the wording is. Yeah, you are right. It's not engaged in combat with another model, so I uh, can't cheese there. I was thinking, you know, get the defense six, and, you know, it's a good synergy with the whip because you're likely not going to die. Yeah, it does mean that, like, it's, it's a good thing to keep in mind because any model that tries to damage you when you're out of combat, you're at defense six, so including magic. It's not just shooting. 
But yeah, our blasters would still die on a five against the whip in combat. So I don't know how useful it is if I was to use it again, if I would use it more aggressively. That might also depend on matchup. So I guess one thing is hearing how weak against terror Corsairs can be. And that's not really mentioned as much when we talk about how strong Corsairs are. And I remember even our Corsair episode, I think I was the only advocate for maybe bringing in some Corsair Reavers. Rainier, who is an amazing player, like really disagreed with me. And I think a lot of competitive players do too. Would you say that you feel like Corsair Reavers might have more of a role, you know, giving not only like being really good at in combat, but also having the fearless special rule? Maybe at higher points. I think at lower points, I wanted to maximize my numbers and also my shooting weapons and throwing weapons. And Reavers don't have throwing weapons and they're a bit more expensive, but I would be open to trying some out in a list that's maybe bigger. I was pretty surprised when I was looking at like the ETC lists and I didn't see any of the Umbar lists have a single Reaver. And because they do seem to provide some pretty important things, like um, like you said, some fearless in these kind of situations, and also being able to stack their plus one attack with backstabbers. It looks like it can deal huge amounts of damage. So I suspect their weakness is probably... Um, that like people will just go for the bosun in your list, and then once bosun is down, then basically your army is cannibalizing itself and killing itself. So I don't actually know like all the reasons why they're not considered competitive to a, a lot of people because I actually think that they bring something that the corsairs really need. Could it be because you can just take black Numenorians who have decent courage also in the same army? Yeah, I mean that's a good point. This is a good shot with the Black Numenorians. I know, like, you know, I've said where I've stood, but, like, I guess I'm just thinking, you know, there's a lot of fragile models in the game that are surprisingly hard to kill. Like, you're not going to be throwing the Boston into combat. Like, you know, you have the Kyrdans and these sort of models that you don't expect to fight, and, you know, you're going to protect them. So, I, yeah, I don't really buy the, the argument that, you know, just because it, it paints a target on your back, and like once the bosun dies, your your army's in danger of it in itself. But but again, I feel like I have to. I, I haven't myself played competitively with corsairs in like a big tournament, so maybe I got to do that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential with the bosun, and it's similar to like Bard and his daughters, which I'd say many players considered a competitive option, and that definitely adds a weakness to your army. So. I agree with you that it's worth a shot, and maybe there are other reasons that why they're not so popular. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree they're probably maybe not the most optimal points-wise, but I feel like they fill enough of a niche, like you said, that Corsairs need to, I think, occasionally at least warrant a consideration. They're not like mortal stalkers or anything. Yeah. Also, the plus one to wound, you can't really underestimate it. I know that you already get that with your army bonus, but... One thing that I found playing is that backstabbers actually didn't come up that much. Not as much as I thought. I thought that I would be like flanking every army and surrounding them and getting plus one on every single fight. Not really. I guess it depends on how many models your opponent has. But to me, it was well under half the combats. It could have something to do with the, the scenario and how far apart we were starting. But And also maybe maybe just the points value. Maybe you could do it at higher points. But I feel like having that plus one to wound on the Reavers is not redundant, uh, especially when it stacks with the army bonus. So any last thoughts about the tournament? 
I feel like I learned a lot about the army just playing at an event for one day. I think they're really competitive. I think that they're one of the top evil armies of the game. And I feel like some people might be discouraged to play them because of their low defense, but actually it's not an issue given how many models they can spam out. When you see 20, 30 throwing weapons coming your way, it's it's pretty demoralizing for a lot of players. And I saw that at this event, people just start shaking their head when it was the shoot phase. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I think the secret's already out. I don't think anyone is underestimating Corsairs anymore. I think we will just know that they're you know, like crazy, crazy list. Yeah, that's about all I wanted to cover. Thank you all the listeners for listening to this episode. This is kind of a shorter episode as it's coming up to the middle of summer and it's just been we've just been a little busier, but we are going to come back to regular episodes right after this. So thank you all for um, tuning in and we'll see you next time on the next episode of Into the West. 